everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning and welcome to Easter at Discovery. It's just an absolute treat to be joining you from Sunrise Amphitheatre in Boulder, just up top of uh, Flagstaff Mountain. Uh, Mike, who runs all our video, he and I uh, hiked up here early this morning. We got here just a few minutes after sunrise and just the privilege of being able to walk by some deer. Uh, even as we're setting up this gear here, we heard some turkeys gobbling in the background. Just a reminder that creation cries out the name of the Lord, that even the rocks cry out in praise. And the reason, of course, we're filming from Sunrise uh, Amphitheater is because sunrise reminds us of new life. Sunrise is the reminder of resurrection. So as we kick off our message this morning, I just want to pause. Maybe there's some people in the room with you. Otherwise, you can grab a phone and reach out to somebody. We just want to give you a moment to celebrate Easter together in the rich tradition where I will say he is risen and then you will repeat back, he is risen indeed. He is risen. I'm also going to say, as we get off, uh, get this message going, I wish I'd packed gloves. It's a, it's a little chilly this morning, and so you might see me just rubbing my hands, keeping myself warm as we go. Hey, one of my most profound memories as a kid, uh, it's just one of those vivid memories I'll never forget, was when I was uh, drowning in the bottom of a creek. I was five or six years of age. Uh, I'd fallen in a creek, and the water was well over my head. And uh, what had happened is, is we were at my uncle's farm for a picnic. Uh, my dad and my mom, my oldest sister, who's about three and a half years older than me, and I, we all had this picnic with my uncle and my aunt and my cousins. And there's a creek running through my uncle's property. And in the creek, it has these freshwater lobster that are unique to Australia called a marin. There'll be one on the screen for you now. As you can see, they're incredibly ugly. And they, they're almost the size of a lobster. They're about 70% of an ocean lobster. They have the claws and they're ugly and terrifying and delicious and they're extremely rare and so we had traps in the creek trying to catch marin so we had the traps in the creek and then we're our family's about 50 yards away picnicking and my older sister and i decided let's go check the traps let's go see if there's any marin so we run to the creek and i'm leaning over the water you kind of know where this is going and i've got all my body weight on an old dried branch and sure enough this loud crack and the snap the branch snaps and I tumble in. I don't remember how old I was. I think I was five. I, I might have been six, but I couldn't swim. And the creek was well over my head and I sink to the bottom. Now, as my sister tells this story, she was three and a half years older than me. Uh, at that point in, in her life, I was nothing but a pain in the neck to my sister. She just did not really like having a kid brother around. I was pretty obnoxious. So as my sister tells this story, she had a very sober decision to make. She could just walk away and that would be the end of her brother, or she could go get help. Now, obviously, there's no great suspense to this story. I'm here, I'm old. Um, so she went to get help. What's interesting is I remember being on the bottom of the creek. I don't think I really understood what drowning was. I remember being terrified that I was gonna get nipped to death by Marin. But next thing I know, there's a plunge, it's my dad. Uh, he pulls me out of the water. Uh, he rescues me. As my dad tells the story, he says he bolted over to the creek. He looks in the water and he just sees these beady blue eyes staring up at him from the bottom of the creek. I was rescued. Uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Christianity 
and the claims of Jesus Christ and what it's all about. And, you know, you ask 10 people, sometimes you get 10 different answers about what does a Christian believe? What's the essence of Christianity? I simply want to make the case this morning that the fundamental essence of Christianity and what we celebrate on Easter Sunday is rescue. Why should someone become a follower of Christ? Because it's an amazing experience to be rescued. Uh, I just tell you that as somebody who myself has been rescued, I think it's uniquely an amazing experience when you're rescued and you don't know that you need to be rescued. You don't even know that you're drowning. Easter Sunday, of course, is when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that. But before we do, I just want to focus on a couple of the things that Jesus came to rescue us from. And, and here's the first one. I think before we get to Jesus' death, before we get to Jesus' resurrection, we just want to remember, even though it's Easter and not Christmas, we just want to remember that Jesus came, that Jesus actually arrived. And, and this is absolutely revolutionary. There are all kinds of beliefs in the world. A lot of people have various opinions about God and the nature of God. But the absolute distinctive of what Christianity teaches about God is that God makes the first move, that God shows up. And so this simple idea that we typically celebrate at Christmas, but that I want to remind us on this Easter morning, is that God got out of his chair. Paul writes about it eloquently in Philippians 2, where he says Jesus emptied himself. Jesus came all the way down, took on human flesh to live among us. And I would simply make the argument that the reason Jesus came is to rescue us from isolation. God came to rescue us from isolation. I don't care how many people you're surrounded by. I don't care how many friends you have. Every single one of us has battled isolation and loneliness. I, I think actually the feeling of isolation, the feeling of being alone, the feeling of thinking that you're unnoticed, that no one even is thinking about you, that no one even knows that you're around or no one cares. I think that is one of the worst feelings in the world, the feeling of being unseen, unnoticed, and unloved. We all go through times of isolation, but God came to rescue us from ever having to be isolated again. God came all this way. He traveled an incredible distance at great cost to himself so that we would never be alone anymore. Now, it's very true. You might feel alone, but you are no longer ever alone. God is with you. Discovery has some dear friends. They're also dear friends of the Cuss family, the Rich family in Paraguay, Dan and Christy Rich, and they're amazing kids who have lived in Paraguay for just years and years and years. I, I think it's like 28, 30 years now. Uh, last time I was in Paraguay with them, Dan was telling me the story about what it was like in those first couple of years living in Paraguay, just new culture. Everything was new. The language was new. The customs were new. Everything was new. And they were just feeling so incredibly isolated. Uh, Dan and Christy, they don't live in the major city. They lived in this village that was several hours in the middle of nowhere. This beautiful place, but very isolated. And they tell the story about how Tony and Jean Floyd one weekend just drove six hours just to come and be with them in their isolation. As Dan was telling me that story about their friends who did this great act of love by sacrificing their time in their weekend just to come and show up and to be with Dan and Christy, 
they were tearing up telling the story that the trip happened like 20 years ago, but they told it like it had just happened. That's the power of isolation. That's why it feels so painful. And that's also the amazing experience of someone coming just to be with you. And God came to us. In fact, God's nickname, God's Christmas nickname, Emmanuel, means God with us. John records, and I'm going to read from the message version, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Some folks don't really pray because they never want to bother God. I was kind of raised like that. I was raised with the belief that some people always have it worse than me. So I shouldn't focus on my own problems. I should focus on other people's problems. And sometimes we think God is in someone else's neighborhood, you know, where there are real problems. But the simple fact is the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, it's the simplest reminder that God moved toward us, that we're no longer isolated, that Easter is the remember, uh, the reminder that we've been rescued from isolation and loneliness. Second thing God rescued us from is from our sin and shame. And Easter is the reminder that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross so that we would no longer have to grapple with our own sin and shame anymore. You know, you ask any historian and every historian except the fruitcakes, the ones that we don't really pay attention to, we try to ignore. Every historian worth his or her salt would simply record that Jesus was born Jesus lived and Jesus died. I mean, it's, it's fact, it's, it's evidence. Jesus was executed by the Roman government in collusion with the religious leaders of the day on a cross-shaped lumber that was designed to torture its victim and show a terrified watching world not to mess around with the Roman Empire. But God has something more to say than just the historical fact that Jesus died. God adds these two words, not that Jesus died, but that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you and Jesus died for me. It's really something we say. It's almost a cliche in the church. And so it's something that we can tend to gloss over. But just think about it like 2000 years after the event happened, Jesus died. Those of you who are grandparents, uh, you know, you celebrate the birth of a grandchild. It's this incredible miracle. And, and you look at that child and you realize, wait a minute, this baby that just now was born, Jesus died for that person too. What we're taught in the New Testament, I'm going to read from the Apostle Paul, is that God willingly laid down his life for us. He was not a victim of the Roman Empire. Jesus was not a victim of religious leaders colluding. He willingly gave his life for you and I. Romans 5, you see, Paul writes, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a... Uh, quite world-renowned uh, 
scholar named Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown, and she spent a lifetime studying shame. She says, you know, anytime we fall short, anytime we, we make a mistake, anytime we get caught, anytime we fall short of even our own standard, we get covered, we get infected by this thing called shame. And she says, the solution to shame, to overcoming shame, the solution is vulnerability. It's this fascinating study that Brene Brown, she works primarily in the secular space. She has a PhD in social work. She's a professor of social work. That Brene Brown, this somewhat secular uh, student of shame, would agree with what the scripture says about shame, that anytime we fall short, anytime we make a mistake, anytime we don't live up to even our own expectations, this thing shows up, this, this force shows up, and it infects us, it covers us. And Brene says that the, the pathway through is vulnerability. It reminds me of the original story in Genesis of Adam and Eve when they uh, realized that they were exposed, naked in the, in the Genesis term, and they covered themselves. They were trying to cover their shame. You know, the very original solution that humans have to any sin is we hide and we blame. We, we go into isolation. We look to push our sin onto other people so we don't have to grapple with what we've done. We tend to minimize, we, we move into secrecy. You know, I, I know a lot of what we've been talking about this year as a church is secret habits and secret addictions. These things that have us in their grip that when we give ourselves to them, we then go into deep shame and then we try to hide and manage it on our own and the cycle continues. And what we've been reminding everyone and what I wish to remind us again this morning is that if you have a secret addiction or a secret habit, and I'm not necessarily talking about something like pornography or alcohol, but that too, but it simply might be that you are trapped in a cycle that you cannot get out of on your own. You know, the temptation is just to bear down and try harder and use your willpower to get you out. But the good news of Easter is that Jesus died to remove the shame. Uh, in fact, the author of Hebrews actually says Jesus despised the shame, like Jesus cannot stand the shame. Jesus hates what shame does to us because what shame does is it puts us in a dark place and it says, it's all on me. I have to figure it out. I'm no good. I'm a failure. It'll never be better. But Jesus died to free us from all of that. You know, I think in the traditional way of seeing it, we always think through the lens of sin of things that we do and things that we don't do. But really, the vision of Scripture is so much grander than that. It's the idea that we've been rescued from sin, that we have been released from the power of having to keep it a secret, from having to manage it on our own. No matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, Jesus died to free you from shame and wash you clean. The cross covers you, and because of Jesus' death on the cross, you are now deeply connected to the heart of God. Because of the cross, you no longer have to approach God like some distant or angry or disappointed being, but you can run to God the way a child runs to his father, the way a child runs to her mother to receive the warm embrace from God. And finally, and this is obviously what we often meet to celebrate on Easter, God resurrected. Jesus raised from the dead to rescue us from death. This is what we focus the most on on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus raised from the dead so we don't have to be afraid of death. Uh, I've, I've shared this before, but I'll remind you, I'm afraid of dying 
but because of Christ, I'm not afraid of death. But what I mean by that is the way I die, I've thought about it. And, and famously, I know uh, you, you're aware that my dream way to die is to be run over by a Ferrari. That's, that's all I've ever wanted. Just the, the roar of those Italian cylinders, the flash of red, and then the glory of Jesus. That's the way I want to go. Uh, but but I've, I have actually spent time like, I wonder what dying is like. Dying, what if it's painful? And, and I'll be honest, I'm afraid of that. But once that process is over and I'm dead, I'm not afraid of that. Because in Christ, death no longer has the last word. I know that death in this life feels so terminal. It feels so absolute. It, it feels like it's, it's a thief. In fact, in the New Testament, death is described as a thief. It steals something from us. If, if you've ever lost a loved one, somebody you dearly love, you know that feeling of being robbed. And it's true. While we're on this earth, we have to grapple with grief, and it's a real thing. But the fact is that because of Christ's resurrection, there is now a word that speaks after death. Death no longer gets the final word. Death's power is diminished because in Christ there is hope, and our hope is in that word life. Jesus is life, and death cannot keep him down. And so after dying for us, death could not keep Jesus down, and he raised from the dead. And because Jesus raised from the dead, anybody who puts their trust in Christ shall not die, but will be given the gift of eternal life. It's just, it's remarkable. We, we live in a culture of death in this country. Uh, this culture is a death-soaked culture. We have so much violence. We have so much aggression. We're heavily soaked in death. And what's interesting in this culture is even though we are a culture of death and we're soaked in it, we don't talk about it very much. It's actually one of those things in our culture that we're not sure what to do with. And yet, death is going to come to us all. And I think as much as we don't talk about death very much as a culture, one of the things that we profoundly understand in this culture is sacrifice. We really get what it means when somebody lays down their life for us. You know, as of the filming of this message, it was just a couple of days ago that we honored the sacrifice of police officer Eric Tully. It's just still fresh in our hearts and our minds, this horrendous evil mass shooting that happened just just a few miles from where we're filming here. And this is the week where Officer Tully, who willingly laid down his life to protect other people, where he was laid to rest, this, this man who was a husband and a dad, who ran into the danger and died so that people could live. It's a keen reminder. Uh, it, it was all over the news, of course, as Highway 7 was just shut down as police car after police car in tribute to their fallen brother drove, as people lined the streets honoring this person. We, we understand sacrifice. And the simple fact is that Jesus sacrificed for every one of us, but that death is never the end for those who put their trust in Christ. Paul actually says that death lost its sting. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, 
but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to ask you the simplest question, and it's an invitation. Do you want to be rescued? Do you want to be rescued? If, if you think about what Jesus is all about, it's about rescuing us, rescuing us from isolation so we never have to be alone anymore. No matter what you go through, no matter what you face, you're no longer facing it alone. God with us. Rescue from shame that when you make mistakes, when you fall short, when you get stuck, when you try harder and it gets worse, you have somebody who can rescue you and deliver you from the shame of that. And the simple path is vulnerability. It's just the simple admission that you need help. That's all vulnerability is. It's putting your hand up and saying, I can't do this alone. I need help. And then, of course, ultimately, the rescue from death. That when you and I finally leave this earth, as every one of us will do, that that no longer has to be the end of our story, that our story can be gloriously folded into the grand eternal story of God. If you're joining us on a Sunday morning, we have people in the chat right now. They're putting a link there. They would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. If you're watching this on demand on your own time, you can simply email discoverycares at dc2.me. We would love to help you connect with God. This is, this is a life-changing experience. It's changed my life. It's changed so many people's lives, and it can change your life as well. As we wrap up, we hope you have a happy Easter. We hope you've enjoyed this unique service that we got to host for you here in this beautiful place. May God be with you and may the peace of the Spirit be yours. Amen.